There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Well, morning, everyone, or afternoon, depending on when you uh, got round to this. And uh, greetings, as always, on the Monday to Michael Chakraverty. Hello, Michael. Hello, greetings to you as well, Mark Watson. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm all right, thank you. And I'm in uh, good spirits with the news of a, a new crop of patrons who we wish an especially happy Monday to. In fact, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say we'd like them to have a better Monday than anyone else listening, or is that too harsh, too punitive? I think anyone else in the world, I think it's fair to say. So the best of Mondays to Christopher, Tim, Kimberly, Dave, Heidi, Emily and Michael, who's got a good name to top it all off, which yeah, thank is fab. You. Thank you to all those yeah, people. Thank you so much. But again, we must emphasise we don't wish anybody a miserable Monday just because they've not joined the Patreon. We just wish a better one to those seven blessed individuals. And if you would like to have a better Monday than everybody else next Monday, you can join us at patreon.com forward stroke Mankind Podcast. Who have you got this week, Mark? Well, I'm glad you asked, Michael, because it's about time we said, isn't it? This week, we are joined by Ben Hurst. Hi, I'm Michael. He's not called Hi. iPad, he's called Mark. Um, okay. I'm known as iPad 2, but uh, I, see, I call myself Mark. iPad 2 is just my mate's nickname for me. You have to define yourself in a nutshell oh, in about a minute's time, if that's okay with you. Not a test, though. Okay. In a nutshell? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> A genuinely brilliant conversation this, and one I think we've been wanting to have for a long time. So enjoy it in your ears, as I think we established that's how people do these sorts of things. No one contradicted us last week, so yes, we're going to keep going with that. This week we have the wonderful Ben Hurst and Mark, who is ever-present on these podcasts. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'd like more than ever-present. I'd like an actually positive adjective, but you know. We have Mark, who I... <laughs> chose to do this podcast with. God, you found that really difficult. Anyway, we, as you say, we do luckily have Ben Hurst. If it was just us every week, it would uh, really be starting to great by now. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Who are you and how are you? Hello. I'm fine. That's the wrong way around, but I am fine. That's the sort of easy one. Easy one, one yeah. 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 And I am Ben Hurst. Hello, everyone. I am the head of facilitation and training. At Nor- ah, it's always awkward. Introductions are so awkward. Right. This is why we make you do it. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm not what I do, but I do do things. So I'm a person. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm a guy. We should stress, whatever you give as your answer to this, we're not saying that is all that you've ever accomplished. Okay, so not me in my entirety. You do not need to summarise your whole existence. No, just give, <laughs> give us a taste. All right. 
So I'm the head of facilitation and training at an organisation called Beyond Equality. Beyond Equality used to be called the Good Lad Initiative and it's an organisation that works with men and boys in schools and universities and corporate spaces tackling the conversation around masculinity. So it's essentially like a deconstruction and a reconstruction of masculinity. And that's what I do for my full-time job. And then I'm also a bunch of other things, including a podcaster and a model and activist in loads of different ways. I guess that's pretentious, isn't it, to call yourself an activist? But I don't think so. No, I feel like it is. We're jealous enough of model, to be honest, mate. <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? I do what I do. He does have good teeth. Oh, you can't hear that, but his teeth are gorgeous. Can confirm. We don't know if Ben is a tooth model, though. I'm smiling right now so that you can see. Yeah, what do you model? Which bits of you do you model? Yeah. <laughs> well, specifically teeth. <laughs> oh, it is? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for a second, I thought we struck... No, it's just fashion, darling. It's fashion. Oh. But I'm going to start highlighting the teeth more. It's important, I think, yeah. That was such a nice compliment. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Do you know what, actually? People aren't very good at taking compliments, and you took that very well, which was very nice. <laughs> Thank you. And you are good at giving them, Michael. You Thank regularly you. do make a guest feel good about their physical appearance. Thank you for that compliment, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome, Michael. You deserve it. Oh, aren't we all great? What great men we are. This is such a nice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> such a good introduction. Let's go straight in. The first question we always ask kind of takes you back quite a bit in terms of your life to when you first encountered masculinity, I suppose, and when you kind of realised that it was a thing that you had to engage with. So I get, that's a hard question, isn't it? Thank you. Yeah, I wrote it myself. Yeah. <laughs> when, did, when did I first realise that masculinity was a thing? I think when I first realised and when I realised I had to engage with it were maybe two different things. Mm, right. And I've got six nieces now. So I've got three sisters, three older sisters, and two of them have got kids. One of them's got four. One of them's got twins. And I know from them that, like, I must have realised when I was about four or something. Like, I know my nieces are, like, around that age. They're like, uh, boys are disgusting. So I know that they have an idea around that age. But for me, I think my first real memory of masculinity, of gender, was I remember like one time, I must have been about eight years old, and me and my sister were walking to my grand's house. And it was like a nice day. I remember the sun was shining. And I remember her stopping me and saying, Ah, oh, Benj, when you walk, you need to turn your feet out because boys don't walk like that. I used to walk with my feet like pointed inwards, right. like towards each other. And it wasn't traumatising, it wasn't like a massive moment, but that is like my first real memory. It's the first time someone's mentioned the angle of their feet before to that question, though. I mean, what's not masculine about your feet being, I was about to say an acute angle, but it depends on which foot it is, I suppose. <laughs> no, both of them at an acute angle. Like, what is that kind of triangle? Very Illuminati, that signal you're just putting up there. Yeah, sorry. Maybe that's the issue that's with them, actually, is that it portrays <laughs> the impression that you could be a member of the Illuminati. Yeah, she was ahead yeah. of the game to be warning you about that at that age. Yeah. But on a serious note, what was she kind of relating it to? It looks kind of maybe delicate or yeah. slightly, you know, not taking up space in the way that a man is meant to or you know when you see like illustrators draw pictures of little girls a lot with their feet pointing inwards yes yeah dainty yeah yeah that kind of image of like cute cuteness arms behind your back yes or hands behind your back yeah yeah and so i guess it was that that she was saying <laughs> and it was i guess really useful information because i don't recall doing it again after that moment or i was definitely conscious of doing it again but yeah i think that was like my first memory of having a moment where i'm like oh i'm different to my sisters and there are things that they can do that I can't do. And there are things that I can do that they can't do. Yeah. And we're not supposed to like swap. Because before that, I was like playing with hand-me-down Barbies and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like I used to have like my own action men and Batman. Yeah. But I also played with all my sisters. Yeah. Until someone tells you there is a line, you don't think about crossing it, do you, obviously? Yeah. Why would you, I guess? One of the reasons that you're kind of a dream guest for us is that you know, the whole podcast is about masculinity 
the good and the bad of it. Mm. Obviously, you go into schools now and work with kids and stuff. Do you think it's important to get people that early? Because as you say, it can be incredibly early in life that you start to form these impressions of what a man does and what he doesn't do. Yeah, so we work with boys from age 11 or 12 upwards, and I think that's way too late. Yeah. Like, if I'm being honest, it's an important piece of work, and I'm really happy that we're doing it. But I think when they get to us, they already have fully formed ideas of like what is okay and what is not okay for them to do you're already having to challenge something aren't you yeah 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 and it becomes like a lot of unlearning and a lot of deconstruction and i think kids need to hear these kinds of messages as soon as they can understand them and i think that really the message there is freedom do you know what i mean the message is like when you move through the world there will be expectations of like what you can and can't do or the ways that you're supposed to behave and you don't have to listen to those things and actually you can do whatever feels good or whatever feels comfortable again like when i look at my nieces i think oh wow like from the toys that they play with do you know what i mean like they know that they're meant to like my little ponies and not hot wheels and like just weird stuff that you pick up so so early yeah i think the earlier you can do it's the better well i've got an 11 year old boy for a start and mm. you know you're right that when i see kids that age they're not just like waiting for you to mold their worldview anymore they're full of ideas that they've inherited or picked up or had put into them somehow mm. or and especially now because of the internet there's more influences on an 11 year old kid than there's probably ever been more different ones. yeah so practically speaking this thing of unlearning how do you go about delving into what a kid might be carrying with them which they shouldn't or don't need to have and picking that apart and it can't be an easy thing to do just knowing what it's like to try and deal with kids that age yeah kids are wild man <laughs> they are super wild i think that the nice thing about working with kids is that if you can make them feel safe they have like zero filter yeah because i think around that age as well they're still like developing empathy and that kind of stuff so they will literally just let anything fly yeah and as long as they don't think that there's a consequence they will tell you whatever they're thinking True. a lot of the introduction of a workshop is like creating that space where they can feel like there aren't going to be consequences we're not teachers yeah we're not here to tell you off and i think they push boundaries do you know what i mean they test to see what they can get away with yeah we're not teachers is a pretty big draw for a kid's that age definitely <laughs> they're like oh shit balls okay <laughs> yeah can't believe you said that can't believe it honestly like we do this activity called a word race where we try and get them to like surface stereotypes it's kind of like a relay race mixed with word association so they run to a whiteboard and write down any words they can associate with a topic and we give them like the topic of men and the topic of women and maybe like breakfast as like a start around or whatever i think that is a really nice route in because when you get them to like start doing that kind of stuff they test you out they're like oh what can i get away with writing down yeah yeah, yeah. and then you can just kind of pick it apart so usually we get like loads and loads of different words for genitalia inevitably yeah <laughs> yeah like things that i have never heard of and then like for women we get like kitchen or mother or babies and for men there's like leadership strength cars that kind of stuff and i think that creates a nice space where it's just like oh why have you written that where does that come from yeah what are we talking about and then i think that's where we surface the idea of stereotypes and then from there we just start to pick stuff apart like looking into the ways that their social structures exist at school and where those hierarchies are and what people are like celebrated for and what you're picked on for or what kids are bullied for and why those things happen, whether it's okay to cry about certain things, all of those kinds of topics start to come out and really surface. And then it's just about kind of just letting them speak and guiding the conversation. And I think kids are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Yeah. And generally, if you allow a person enough space to think through an idea, 
they'll reach a pretty good conclusion by themselves. So it's not very like didactic. It's not a lot of us telling them what the answers are or what they should think. It's just them discussing and debating with each other until they reach conclusions that they're all happy with, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, the idea of an 11-year-old getting a whiteboard and going, men and women, what are the difference? <laughs> yeah. And one's kitchen and one's cars. Yeah. You know it already that 11 and 12-year-olds are sort of already forming this worldview but hearing mm. it kind of said and written I suppose in black and white is kind of something else I mean you've mentioned the social structures at school that obviously they're getting models of behavior from and understanding to the world yeah but where else are those models of masculinity and femininity and gender where are they coming from do you think I feel like these answers are like cop-outs but they are actually true like it is media mm. a lot of it's like Paw Patrol and stuff and Peppa Pig yeah like you get those ideas that become really solidified at such an early age of like this is what girls do and this is what boys do and you are either a girl or a boy so you need to do one or the other the average kid has watched about 700 episodes of Peppa Pig for a start before they're like four years old so yeah that's some of it's gonna stick isn't it <laughs> right like a lot of episodes of Peppa Pig there's an astounding amount of Peppa Pig out there it's not relevant but apparently the child I mean great start for a sentence <laughs> the child who is the voice of Peppa Pig is the child who's in The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix really it's the same person the posh one that says the posh simply one splendid that one it's Peppa Pig so Whoa. now whenever you watch Peppa Pig again and she goes simply splendid it's because she's a ghost from Bly Manor from the past there you go Peppa Pig was dead all along that there explains it. some of these surprising <laughs> storylines oh my gosh this is a sharp left turn she was dead all along this, this <laughs> is an educational podcast yeah so there's massive responsibility or well, there should be massive responsibility on people that are making media for very very small kids yeah and then people that are making any type of media right yeah yeah because kids watch everything they really do and they internalize everything whether you're aware that they're doing it or not and then I think role modeling is like another big part of it like a lot of the messages that we internalize as young people come from our families come from our parents or our carers and music is a big thing like all the different types of media and then I guess there's a very institutional level as well that maybe doesn't get spoken about as often I think kids get the idea that women are caring because there are so many female primary school teachers. Yeah. Yes. So they are like literally only around women for those years of their life where they need that kind of care. And when they're emotional, the people that are holding space for their emotions are often women. Like it's not often loads of men in their lives that are kind of fulfilling that role. So I think you kind of pick stuff up from there and then like piece it together. Do you think it'd be helpful if more men were in primary school teaching and things like that because it is quite an imbalance at the moment yeah i think it would be really helpful and really beneficial i just don't know who's gonna do it <laughs> well that's the thing i don't want to do it <laughs> put a call out on twitter and see what happens yeah exactly but it's interesting isn't it like, like you say it's not as simple as we teach kids that men are better than women or men are the ones who drive the car it is right. more insidious as you say it's like women are probably the people that are going to teach you or care for you yeah. and that becomes cook for you and whatever nurturing and holding space yeah yeah loads of roles are assigned to women in the market Mind, whether we even know it or not you're very self-aware and very aware of the issues and i think it's really important that we dive into them in depth in a second but when did you kind of come to this place where you were able to sort of not look at them from outside because you're actually looking at them from inside which is brilliant but when did you kind of come to the kind of ability to do that were you always able to hold space for your emotions and talk about things when you were younger or did it kind of come later in your life I was like a massive sulker when I was little. So I just used to like get really upset and like fume in my room, like in my little corner by myself. Right. I wouldn't say I was always good at expressing emotions. I don't know if I'm like even particularly good at it now. Like I try really hard, but I guess for me, it's a real mix, right? Because I grew up in a woman dominant family and my dad has always been like a patriarch, but he's just very like stoic, very quiet. 
So he gets the final decision, but all of the decisions are made by women. And it kind of felt like growing up, I had four mums because my older sisters are like a fair bit older than me. And so I was like always tagging along to stuff. And then I think as a kid, like in school, I was pretty lucky because I was athletic. So I kind of like flew under the radar. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't into football. I didn't necessarily like hanging out with boys, but I could play. Yeah. I was fast. I could run. I could jump, whatever. So you could fit into all of the circles that that meant. Yeah. And then I guess as I got older, like I I spent a lot of time in church. My mum like took us to church when we were little. And in my teens, like I started to take that really seriously, which was interesting because then you internalise loads of different messages about the roles of men and women that you kind of get from that environment. Yeah, it's quite a patriarchal environment. Yeah. Long story short, I was studying my degree in theology. I decided that I was going to like go into ministry and become a pastor. Mm -hmm. And then I got kicked out in my last year because I had sex, which was super awkward. And my mum really wasn't very fond of that. Did did you admit it? No, somebody else admitted it to somebody else and then it got exposed. Uh, Right, because being caught in flag... What do you call it? Inflagrante? Inflagrante is the phrase you're after, but I hate it when people use weird expressions for sex like that. Inflagrante. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud. Anyway, be quite uncomfortable and awkward for everyone involved. Yeah. Yes, what we're trying to get to the bottom of is whether they saw you at it. (laughs) No, 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 they didn't see me doing it. No, 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 no. I'm pretty covert. Well, I used to believe I was, but evidently not. I mean, you were caught, so perhaps not covert enough. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so sad. Quite an uncomfortable conversation, though, I imagine, from the school theology. Yeah, well, you get used to it quick, because you have to have that same conversation a lot of times. Mm. Yeah, and so that changed your direction a bit. Yeah, and so I came out of Bible college and I just had no real idea of what I was going to do. Yeah. And two of my older sisters were teachers, so they were like, you should go into education. And I didn't want to study anymore. I didn't want to do a PGCE. And so I got a job as a cover teacher for a couple of years until I started to like really, really hate kids. And then I decided that that wasn't the career path that I was going to go down. And I left there and went to a charity that was doing sex ed in schools, which was like perfect on paper, like the ideal job because I knew about sex (laughs) because I'd had it. (laughs) yeah i'd been caught so everybody knew (laughs) makes you more qualified than some people doing sex education yeah suddenly that sex looks quite good on your cv actually when you're applying for that job do you know what i mean right (laughs) this is it this is innovation you've got to find ways to turn it around (laughs) yeah transferable skills they call it (laughs) yeah i was working at this sex ed charity and part of my job role there was to make a boys project about being a good man Right. right and so when i'd applied for that job i was like yeah i know how to do this i've been working with boys for so long And I sat down to start the project and I was like, oh shit, like what do you say to boys to convince them to be good men? So I was researching a bunch of different organisations that were doing similar work and they were like taking boys into the woods and teaching them to chop down trees and build houses and stuff, which is all good and fine. But I had like pretty delicate hands. So I was like, nah, it's not my vibe. (laughs) Got to protect those teeth, Ben. Got to protect those (laughs) teeth. Do you know what I mean? Like it's fashion. (laughs) Yeah, I guess at that point, that was like my first real dive into understanding masculinity as a construct. And before that, like I just kind of muddled through it like we all do, I guess. And then at that moment, I went on some training courses and I contacted the organisation I work for now. And I was like, oh, can you share the resources? And they were like, you can have the resources if you come to the training. So I did the training and I just really enjoyed it. And for me, like it was the first time that things had kind of like clicked into place and started to make sense. So I kind of carried on down that route of like understanding. Yeah. And the idea of being able to tell boys and men what makes a good man is quite hard because it's hard to, as I imagine, I mean, I'm not, I can't, can't speak from experience, but the <laughs> idea is 
a lot of the time when you say what makes a good man it's oh don't do this so you're kind of teaching somebody by saying what not to do yeah and kids often feel like that's what teachers and parents do as well just endlessly tell them things they can't yeah, like, do so how do you approach I suppose deconstructing masculinity and kind of rebuilding it in a way for people with people without yeah. telling them or getting them a list of rules not to cross yeah how do you do it in a positive way rather than just a list of banned things or do you not do you, do you just give them a list <laughs> no we just give them the list oh, no. I see. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense actually <laughs> it's really easy just tell them what to do no I think a lot of it is just critical questions just asking a lot of questions so if you can do that first bit of like bringing up the stereotypes yeah then asking people how they feel about those expectations what does it feel like is it good do you feel like you can live up to it does it feel like pressure what would you do if you couldn't live up to it what are the outcomes either way so if one of the things is like this expectation of men to be protectors and providers I don't believe that that's an inherently bad thing. Yeah. I do think it's a hard thing to live up to, right? For sure. Like, if you're not a physically dominant person, then that becomes really hard for you to do. Or if you're not academically intelligent, then maybe providing down, like, traditional routes becomes a little bit harder. Mm. So what do you do when you can't meet those targets or when you can't meet those goals? And these are really important questions for kids to be asked because there's going to be times in your life, there's going to be lots of times in your life you can't meet what you believe is asked of you. Right. And then I think it opens up space to talk about your own experiences, right? Because for me... When I came out of Bible college, I had no idea how to handle that situation. Yeah. 10 years ago when that was happening, mental health wasn't a conversation in the same way that it is today. Mm. So I was like at work going into the toilets and crying and thinking that I was going crazy and literally thinking it was just me and I was the only person that this was happening to. I didn't realise that like anxiety was a thing for loads of people and that there were ways of handling it and dealing with it. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of mental health talk these days, but that's why. Yeah. Because as recently as, like you say, 10 years ago, it's easy to forget these weren't conversations and the consequences of that are massive, obviously. Right. And I think giving kids the framework, because they don't know that, right? Yeah. They've just grown up and this is now all that they talk about. But giving them the framework to like link those things together. So those expectations and the pressure from those expectations and the feelings of failure that might be associated with not meeting them can lead to other negative outcomes and then how do we kind of manage that and handle that and are those things even things that we really want to be or that we actually want for ourselves and if you could be anything what would you want to be yeah mm. so it is just a lot of like questioning and making fun of kids because they say funny things but like in, in a way that they hopefully will find enjoyable and engaging like i think it's really important isn't obviously to create space and a lot of what you're saying seems to be about that creating space for people to be able to express themselves and articulate mm emotions and feelings and things like that but there's also a I think it's unavoidable a really dark side of toxic masculinity which impacts upon marginalized people particularly women if you think about violence and well not just women obviously because there's endless violence against marginalized communities but how do we or how do you I suppose tackle that because that's a symptom of toxic masculinity right. how do we start to engage with that conversation if sometimes it can feel quite big and men can feel quite helpless and i'm assuming it's something that comes up quite a lot for you mm. how do you engage with that and what can be done yeah we often ask people this on the podcast but this is one of the first times we've had an actual pro yeah. normally we just spring it on people <laughs> and ask them to solve masculinity yeah they don't always make the edit because they just kind of pretend they're frozen on the zoom call yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, okay. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> That's a good question again. And I, I, like, I guess, how do we have that conversation? Well, I think a big part of it is making it accessible and making it relevant. Yeah. And what you're saying is true, right? Like, I think men's violence, violence from men, disproportionately affects women and marginalised genders. Yeah. But it also massively impacts men, right? 
because it's not women that are beating guys up. It's men that are doing that. And I think we are also the victims of our own violence. Yeah, yeah. this is incredibly hard for people to grasp, that when you talk about male violence, you're not saying women are the only... You're not saying anyone is the only victim. Yeah. You're saying that it, there's an enormous intrinsic problem of violence in society, much of which comes from men. Yeah. Like you said, we're all lose. It's not a competition. Yeah, and the people who are doing it are the people that have the power to stop it. Right. I think by talking to them and exploring like those expectations again of like violence and fighting and what do you do? How do you react to bullying or how do you react to, depending on like what kids you're working with and where you are in the country, like what do we expect boys to do when they're being robbed? Or like, how do you navigate those kinds of spaces? And I think in talking about those kinds of things and picking apart again those expectations and those stereotypes about what boys and men are meant to be it kind of starts to unpack that conversation about toxic masculinity toxic masculinity isn't like a term that we use loads in workshops right okay because i think most kids find that quite alienating and boys think that you're trying to tell them that they're bad people yeah but what is really interesting about it is that If you start to pick that apart, I don't think that the issue there is the masculinity. I think the issue is the power that's attached to it and the expectation of what you're going to do with it. My suspicion is that if we change like the definition of masculinity today and masculinity was now being kind and being caring and being compassionate and being gentle because of the power element that's there those things would still be able to morph and become toxic and it would just look very different, right? Right. Mm. And so actually, like, I think that piece of work becomes really, really important, like actually analysing the power and analysing the system that we live in that prioritises men over other genders. Yeah. And then giving them space to, like, figure out what they want to do with that power as opposed to just saying, well, you can't do this behaviour and you can't do that behaviour because the behaviour really doesn't matter. Like, whatever it is can become toxic in some kind of way. And obviously, the structures you're talking about, which privileged men, mm. have been in place for, well, forever, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. How hopeful do you feel that the sort of generation of kids that you're working with have got a good chance of being able to redraw those structures or find better ways to make it equal? Yeah, kids today are light years ahead of where we were. Yeah. And in a lot of other ways, they're like in exactly the same place. Yeah, it's true. Like they still have upskirting in schools or they still like slap girls' bums and think it's a joke or they still call things gay when they don't really mean gay. or like, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those problems are pretty like universal problems. Universal kid stuff, yeah. But I think that they are a lot more able to be compassionate and a lot braver, like a lot more able and ready to challenge things that they disagree with. Yeah. And I don't know if that's like a symptom of growing up with the internet or growing up with loads of information or where it comes from or seeing like different things that are happening and movements that are happening around the world but they seem a lot more daring so I do hope and I think I have to hope as well that like their generation will be able to do what our generation couldn't do yeah and in an ideal world we will work ourselves out of a job and then I'll be able to like become a painter or something. I don't know, like do something else that's fun, do you know? You'll do your job so well that it doesn't have to exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah, get back on that Aquafresh hype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where the real money is. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you were growing up, I mean, thinking about those children who were kind of in that place, the children that you're interacting with and engaging with as part of these projects, mm. when you were that age, when you were those kids, who did you look up to as positive male role models? Who did you want to be like? And it doesn't have to be positive, I suppose, actually. Who did you look up to as men and go, mm. oh, I want to be like them? So character-wise, the men that I wanted to be like were men in my family. Right. It was like my dad, my uncles, my older cousins. And when you say character-wise, what about them? My dad is really charismatic outside of the house, really stoic inside the house. But he is a provider. If you're sick, he's like the most caring person in the world. And he'll like really look after you, like make you whatever you need, like sit with you, like stroke your head, do whatever needs to be done. And I think I kind of looked at my dad as the example of what I would be when I was older. Like Mm. that was the standard. That was like what I was aiming for. Yeah, yeah. And then outside of that, it was weird because I think when I was growing up, like a lot of kids' heroes was David Beckham. And I didn't watch football, so I didn't like David Beckham like that. I liked basketball. So it was like the Michael Jordans and, and the Kobe Bryants of the world. But I grew up in England as well. So I didn't have access, apart from Space Jam, like, I just used to watch Space Jam on repeat because I was like, I love like, Michael Jordan. I love Bugs Bunny. And that's what I want to be like. There's a limit to how much basketball you can get your hands on in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of that, I know like when I was a teenager, it was probably Kanye West and like 50 Cent. But there was always this kind of acknowledgement also that I was not them and that was not my life. Yeah. So in my mind, it was a bit stupid to think I'm going to be like that because I wasn't growing up in Brooklyn or the Bronx or I was growing up in Ilford, do you know what I mean? Which is like fake East London, fake Essex. (laughs) (laughs) But what was it about them that kind of drew you? Was it the success or what drew you towards them? Mm, I think it wasn't the success because I've never been a money-driven person Mm. as a kid, especially. I think it was just what I perceived as coolness. Right. That was the thing for me. I think that was the appeal with basketball as well at the same time was like this idea of like, this is what it looks like to be cool. And it was people that I could kind of see myself in as like a young black guy. Yeah. There was also this element of like, oh, that person looks like what I can be. And I can emulate that and I can imitate that. And they're rewarded for doing that kind of stuff. So if I can do that kind of stuff, then I will also be rewarded in that way. And then I guess the other piece of that puzzle for me was like, I probably didn't realise at the time, but the idea and the picture of Jesus and God that was painted to me as a kid was then what I thought men were supposed to be like. Right, yeah. And that changed and evolved, like as I got older and like started to study theology a bit more. But definitely as a kid, being the leader, it was like ideas of being gentle, being kind, being strong. And then this picture of God as like this angry person in the sky who was like quite vengeful, 
would punish people. And I kind of internalized that as like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be like. Bit like Kanye West sometimes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Exactly the same. <laughs> it is interesting, though, because you mentioned kind of representation in media earlier, and it shows how much of an impact it can have on you. And being able to see yourself in the world yeah. is really important, but also for those role models to be healthy ones. But then in the same breath, putting that pressure on people to be these role models of mental health like nobody's perfect it's a very tricky ground to navigate because the expectation can make a role model particularly unwell i mean if you look at taking Kanye west for example Mm. some clear mental illness at the moment but he's also a role model for all these many people and there's a huge pressure on him Mm. do you think that's forever going to be a conflict that role models will always have flaws and how do we kind of negotiate those waters i suppose I'm asking you like you're the, like the patron saint of masculinity. Like you know the answers to all of this. Especially what we've made Ben into for, for our purposes. Yeah, I will indulge you in a, in an answer. No, role modeling is an interesting one for me because I'm not sure that I believe in it as a thing. Right. I think it's inevitable. I think that people will see things that they want to be, yeah. or they will see people that they want to be like and will try to be like those people. But ultimately, people are just people. Whether that's the men in your family or the men in the media, the men that you work with, whoever it is, everyone is fallible and everybody fails. And I think maybe that is another part of the picture of masculinity that makes role modelling particularly hard. Yeah, is kind of this idea that we are supposed to be infallible. We don't make mistakes. We fix problems. We make big decisions. We do things. We're the leaders. We're the first ones. Mm. And there's no space for vulnerability. There's no space for mistakes. And actually, I think maybe that's what needs to be role modelled. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was having a conversation the other day about accountability. And I find that so interesting. Even doing this work, I still don't know what it really looks like for a man to take accountability. Yeah. And I think that is within the framework of like, Donald Trump was the president of the United States of America. Do you know what I mean? There was literally yeah. no accountability. And I don't ever really see that modelled. So I think maybe that's a space that we're going to have to move into, which is one where we start to acknowledge One, like that people are just people and they can fail and anybody you put up on a pedestal is going to fall down from it. And then two, what do people do when they do fall? Because I don't think people being up there is wrong and I don't think them falling down is wrong, but I do think that there's an opportunity to show maybe a different way of doing things in that kind of space. Yeah, I think fallibility, building fallibility into an understanding of masculinity is kind of crucial because Mm. it not only accounts for the fallibility of role models, but it accounts for the fallibility of yourself. And I think a lot Mm. of violence or frustration or aggression or negative connotations of masculinity come from a vulnerability or a fear of that fallibility perhaps in a space where someone doesn't feel comfortable it feels better to blag yeah it's interesting this we had a guest before answer the role model question by saying they were uneasy with the whole idea of role models Mm. and they also said that they thought boys got asked that question way more like who do you want to be when you grow up because of this idea that a boy or man has got to be some sort of a hero like are you going to be like that guy in the film are you going to be like that footballer we're endlessly comparing our boys in particular to future stars yeah and I think it's interesting what Ben said that thing about kids maybe being smarter and having slightly more nuance than you maybe think because like if I think about my 11 year old and his mates there's people they admire like say Cristiano Ronaldo Leo Messi like the most famous footballers in the world say Mm. or the most famous rappers in the world or all this 
But like Ben was saying, I'm never going to be that guy. I think my son does instinctively understand that these are not really role models. These are freakish examples. Mm. Whereas if he sees YouTubers, say, or people that are quite a bit younger even than you, Michael, that make millions just out of playing games online, yeah. mm. that does seem like a realistic aspiration. So I think maybe there's sort of two classes of a proper role model, like I could do that, that'd be something I could do. Mm. And then there are people that you see as successful heroes, but you sort of know they're fallible as well. Yeah. And I think that's important. There's a lot of snobbery about, oh, kids these days, all they want to do is be YouTubers or, you know, they just <laughs> yeah. want to be internet sensations. But I kind of like that because that's kids seeing people using their own initiative and building their own thing. Yeah. And having a good life out of that, I think that's healthier than wanting to be a rap star or a footballer, really. I like what you said, Ben, about teaching people what to do when they fail. That mm. perhaps is more the root. It's not perhaps the fear of the failure. It's more mm. the fear of what to do if you have failed. Yeah. I'm interested in, if you take out role models as a concept, what does positive masculinity look like to you? So are you asking me like professionally or personally? I suppose both if you want. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> are you going to give a radically different answer? <laughs> yeah. No, Imagine no, if you gave not... us your professional answer and then said, but of course that's all bullshit. That's just what I said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I really think is, no, I think that the difference between the two answers for me is that on a personal level, like I have a picture in my mind mm. of where I want to get to in my own journey with masculinity. But I also have a professional understanding that that is not where everybody needs to aim to get to with their own relationship to masculinity. Yeah. And actually, positive masculinity for me really looks like the freedom to decide what your form of masculinity looks like whilst pairing that with the understanding of your power and your privilege and having an understanding of what that affords you and how you can move through the world and then how you can utilise that to give that to other people. Yeah. Whether that's like women or people of colour or whatever it is, what are you afforded that other people aren't afforded and how do you use that to... How can you help them to get something? Right. And also to be whoever you want to be. Yeah, that thing you said earlier of like, if you could be anything, what would it be? Is one of the best yeah. thoughts you can put into a person's head at any stage of life, I think. Yeah. We don't necessarily say that to kids or think like that ourselves I don't think not instinctively yeah I just thought about that question in my own head there then it's hard to not immediately put qualifiers on it yeah yeah you immediately think well of course I couldn't be anything could I I suppose I'd be a footballer but I can't count and you immediately start putting obstacles in your own head yeah mm. just to add like I really like what you were saying earlier Mark about the YouTube and I think for kids although there are like really obviously really dark sides of YouTube like there are dark sides of everything yeah I think one thing that it does represent that is really beautiful for kids is the ability to define your own path exactly when I was a kid YouTube didn't exist like this yeah I said that to my kid about 10 times an hour right. when he's showing <laughs> like me all sorts of incomprehensible yeah. stuff um, <laughs> but it's literally like an industry that has kind of emerged from nowhere mm. and I think if we can kind of give them that blueprint to carry into masculinity also where it's like, what you can be doesn't exist. Like, no, you've never seen it before. There is no map. There's no roadmap. Mm. There's no blueprint for it. Yeah, that's great. But you can reimagine, like, whatever that is. And if that means you want to be a boy who paints his nails and works in a salon, or if that means you want to be a boy who plays rugby and lifts weights in the gym, or if you want to be both, or if you want to be neither, those, if you yeah. want to be... Like, it doesn't yeah. matter what you want to be. I think the only qualifier for me is, like... As long as you are aware of what harm you are doing and trying to mitigate that harm, then go for it, man. Do whatever you want to do. And for me, like, I know that my things are like, I want to be emotionally literate. Like, I want to be able to wake up and feel like I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing. I don't want to feel trapped. I have, like, arbitrary things that are, like, just my own personal desires, but I wouldn't ever want to put that on another person because I think also the risk of that is that when you give other people the answer, 
then it leads straight back to that kind of toxic masculinity space where it's like, now this is the expectation for you and this is what you need to do. And if you can't do that, then you're less of a man. Yeah. When I talk to boys about like anger and frustration, their response is like, I'm going to punch a wall. Like that's a good way to deal with anger or emotion that I don't understand. And it's not really, is it actually? No, like it just really hurts. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting this because our final question is normally about if you could put three qualities into a man, if you're like mm-hmm. building a boy, stroke man, Stroke male human what, Stroke you know. bear in a workshop, <laughs> Stroke, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> famous brand. But in this case, it, I mean, well, we still will ask you the question, but I suppose a lot of what you've said really is that we ought to be looking to get rid of rules and expectations and make being a man as much of a blank canvas as possible. Yeah. But that said, are there qualities? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. we always end this way. Don't screw up the podcast. Um, Otherwise we can't end, Ben. We'll just be talking forever. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, so I would say... Perhaps an easy way of framing it is in the work that you do with children in those schools, those 11 and 12-year-olds, mm-hmm. if you were able to say three qualities that they will end up with mm-hmm. following your sessions, what three qualities would you be trying to build in then? I think number one is awareness. I would really want them to be able to be aware of themselves, mm. to have that ability to like emotionally check in with themselves, to process, to name and label emotions and to process them yeah. and to be able to communicate those to other people in their lives. Like I think that's a really big piece. Mm. I think the ability to critically reflect on things is something that is incredibly important that we don't teach kids. And I don't know why, like I only learned that when I got to university. Do you know what I mean? Like that I remember really specifically being in a lecture and my lecturer being like, the way that you've been taught to do stuff is not the way that we're doing it anymore. And now we want you to like mm. take in every piece of information and analyze it and then form your own opinion about it. And I think if we could do that with kids a lot earlier, yeah. that would be really, really beneficial for them. Yeah, I agree sure. with that. And then if I had to pick a third one, I would probably say bravery, but not in the normal sense like not not in terms of like running in and being the hero and slaying the dragon but I just mean in terms of like blazing your own path and creating your own direction because I think that's a lot harder than we give ourselves credit for and actually even for myself like I know that there are a lot of areas where I'm not that brave and there are things that I'd love to do that I just don't do because whether it's like imposter syndrome or like self-doubt or whatever it might be yeah it's an act of courage to move past right that is it's a lot of energy yeah. emotionally to get past those. And quite pleasingly, if we were to reorder those, it would be the ABC of masculinity. Oh, is it? Is quite nice. Yeah, you've got awareness, <laughs> bravery, and critical reflection. Oh, look at that. Old dictionary corner over here. Isn't that lovely? Call me Rachel Riley. <laughs> see you making a note that you look really pleased with. <laughs> I'm very happy. Honestly, Ben, we could have talked for hours. I mean, thank you so much. I feel like we've learned a lot and covered a lot already. But are there any places or resources that you'd like to plug about yourself or the work that you do? Find me on Instagram. No, I'm joking. But also do lovely teeth, honestly. Well, you know, they are gorgeous. What can I say? (laughs) I would say, especially if you're a guy and you're listening to this, come and connect with our organisation. So find Beyond Equality. Beyond Equality. We're running like community ally trainings in the last couple of months, there's been like a massive explosion of like uptake in people wanting to learn more about these topics and wanting to find spaces where they can ask questions and figure stuff out. And that's the space that we're trying to provide. So if you're a guy and you are confused or you're not sure, come and find us. And also if you're a guy and you want to do something and you don't know what the next step is, come and train with us and come and run some workshops with kids because it's really, really fun. So there's that on Twitter, at Beyond Equality? Yeah, at Beyond Equality on all socials. 
or Google us and shoot us an email. And I'm really, I'm like notoriously bad with email. So it probably won't be me, but someone, someone from our <laughs> team of very, very competent staff will respond. And get your own profiles a plug. Where can they find those teams? Oh, you can find me at The Real Ben Hurst on all socials as well. Not the fake one. No, not the fake. <laughs> I also own that account. We've put a lot of pressure <laughs> on these teeth now. People are going to be looking on in droves just to see the teeth. <laughs> I've got to make sure I only post good pictures of my teeth now. This is a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> suddenly, it's really important they're in the spotlight now mate thank you so much Ben you've been absolutely wonderful thanks a lot Ben a lot to think about here yeah at some point I'll get you to sort my cadet (laughs) thank you so much guys thank you speak to you soon cheers Ben and that was Ben Hurst Uh, really really great conversation as we promised and we delivered I like to think yes nice to talk to someone with actual expertise in the field that we've been waffling on about for 25 (laughs) or so episodes now yeah and we do uh, want to speak to more people like Ben so if there's anybody that you can think of uh, do let us know we're always keen and we're going to be recording some new ones quite soon so watch out for that yes this is a good time to submit guest suggestions. So, in the meantime, we've had lots of lovely messages coming in, as always, flooding into the socials, which are at Mankind Podcast on Instagram. What's the other ones? Twitter and Facebook. Oh, God. Yeah, the usual, the big social media platforms, I guess. <laughs> not the small ones. We're not into Tumblr at the moment. Um, but some really lovely ones. I had a message in from Beth, who said uh, after David's episode last week, she really enjoyed hearing him say some gay people are slight overachievers because they're always trying to do something that will impress themselves and that that had opened her eyes to a new way of viewing herself and many of her friends. So, lovely. That's a nice one from Beth, isn't it? Very nice. We also had a... Uh, well, I was going to say a letter, and it sort of is letter length from somebody in the United States, which we always enjoy, of course, because uh, it endlessly yes. plumps up our egos when we think that people in America or anywhere in the world other than our own home are listening to us. Um, but also in our own home. It's also nice if you listen to it in the UK, to be clear. Oh, we like listeners everywhere. We, it's just uh, Americans allow us to delude ourselves as to the reach of our work. <laughs> and this one begins um, diplomatically by saying, hi, Michael Stroke Mark comma, Mark Stroke Michael. I've been wanting to send you a message from over here in the States uh, for a while now. I'm about three hours north of New York City, upstate. Um, As a 41-year-old man, I relate hard to this, of course, who has never really ticked all of the boxes of traditional manhood, I feel like I've been waiting for a podcast like yours for a long time, a place where it feels okay to just be. Uh, I'm in a leadership position in public education here, and I regularly grapple with how to best support generation of students who are much more comfortable embracing the changing dynamic of gender than I ever was. This is what it's like to see Michael being 41. <laughs> Am I really equipped for this? I ask myself that often. Having attended an all-boys military Catholic private school from grade 6 to 12, I definitely was forced into a box of masculinity that I never felt comfortable with. Luckily, as an adult, I have found my people, including a wife. He didn't, he didn't oh. write it uh, as weirdly as that. I just no, read it like it that. It wasn't <laughs> just your, your inflection added. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't put it in, in italics and underline it and bold. <laughs> uh, many people, I have found my people, including a wife, who appreciates my willingness to shrug off traditional masculinity for talking about emotions, singing show tunes, and buying houseplants that really tie a room together. Oh, they all, do, all, you know. They really they do. do. of course. All good husband skills, just as he says, not necessarily, or as they say, not traditional ones. I'm sat here with, with Sheila, my lovely Ivy, next to me, keeping me company. Anyway, I've gone on long enough. I want to thank you and your guests who consistently opened my eyes to a larger world. It has made me a better person and a better educator. I'm excited to continue listening 
and they've signed off by saying be well and stay hydrated. Quite specific oh, advice. I probably there. should do that actually. I'm quite hungry. Yeah, today. to be honest, it's, it's not wrong. It's very hard <laughs> to remember to drink enough water. We had someone say with kindness or something, didn't we, last week, and we like that. But we're also happy with sign offs that give us pieces of lifestyle advice that we might be in danger of neglecting, in this case, about water intake. Yeah, and a lovely message as well. And it would be nice actually to speak to a teacher in, in the future. I'm going to write that one down. Um, just a quick one before we go. There's one more that I really liked. Following uh, many of our conversations with me and Mark off a microphone, can you believe we actually speak to each other when we're not being recorded? Um, we've had lots of conversations about how Mark doesn't accept praise. And so one of our listeners has spotted this and they emailed in and said that after David's episode last week, they were delighted to hear that Mark accepted the praise from David at the end. Um, and that this person really felt they were of a similar ilk to Mark in that their default state is a self-deprecating, brush it off, don't take it seriously approach to praise. But to hear Mark be genuinely pleased to receive a compliment was truly joyful in a way that they didn't really expect. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah, indeed, I basked in the compliment, which is that David cared more about me than you, essentially, to, to, <laughs> to summarise it. And there we are, puncturing the compliment with a joke, but it was still standing. No, it, it was very gratifying and sweet, and I will continue to enjoy uh, and be gracious about and accept praise as it comes in in future episodes let's hope there's lots of it and if yeah. it is to the detriment of you then so much the better <laughs> you look um, lovely today mark just so you know yes i do i bloody do that, that is that the sort you. of thing you want <laughs> that's great uh, next week we have mosin zeddy mosin how do you normally describe yourself to people so i try not to because it feels really arrogant but i am a criminal barrister and recently the author of a memoir called a dutiful boy i have actually written another book which was called The Little Book of Insider Dealing, and it's a criminal text which three people read. Oh, yeah. But did they like it? Well, two of them were the authors, me and the co-author. <laughs> and the other one was my mum, and I think she was lying. So I don't... <laughs> In general, you don't want the number of authors to outnumber the readers, really. Yeah, yeah well, they don't. There were three. <laughs> oh, no, I suppose, yeah. To be fair, yeah. though, Dutiful Boy has been a big success, surely. Like, everyone is loving that. Like, book. more than three readers, I heard. Yeah, I think, actually, yeah, Dutiful Boy has been all right. So my second outing as an author has been slightly better than my first. <laughs> A barrister and author, Mossin, is really fascinating. And he has a new book out coming out in June. Well, it's a new old, old new book. It's the book that's existing. A new format of an existing book called A Dutiful Boy. And he was really great to chat to. I'm very much looking forward to um, unleashing this one. That will happen Ooh. next Monday, as usual. Unleash. Should we yes. should we say that's what we do on Mondays now? Yes. The, yeah, it's better than... I mean, I'm too old to say dropped and released is a bit bland. So yes, we'll unleash <laughs> episodes from now on. Until next Monday's unleashing, have a wonderful week. See you for the unleashing. 